0: Live. Hello, this is William Fank of Christgivingia.org. Today is Saturday, December 8th, 2012. Tonight, I'm going to. Um, tonight, myself and sword brethren are going to present a Joseph Goebbels paper, along with a lot of qualifying material from Mein Kampf. The paper is entitled in English, and, and it doesn't really translate this way, but it's probably a, a, a wise choice. The paper is entitled "Those Damned Nazis," and and we will explain the reason for the title momentarily that the um, <clears throat> or, or the reason why it doesn't really translate that way momentarily it, It's awfully amazing to me and and, and it's awfully disappointing. How many Christian identists? Identity Christians claim to have eyes that are open. Yet a large percentage of identity Christians still don't understand National Socialist Germany. Having been well, having not shed all of their Jewish brainwashing, they 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 fail to understand the German variety or or at least Adolf Hitler and and the NSDAP's variety of socialism and and that it was a very Christian community and racially based socialism and and they failed to understand nationalism. And that's really, really, to me, it's heavily disappointing. I'm going to um, continue to expound on this topic until I'm blue in the face. We will cover this topic this week. We will cover this topic next week. We'll probably switch back to our presentation against the Paul Bashers at some point, and and we'll get back on this topic again. Hello, Brian. Thank Hello. You Thank you for having me on. Praise Yahweh. How are you well, we doing this evening?
1: I'm doing fairly well. I've noticed, just to begin, that most Americans seem to have a knee-jerk reaction. They hear socialism and they think a long-haired hippie is talking about how private property is invalid and improper, how we should, you know, tax and spend, tax and redistribute, and take away everyone's private property.
0: Well, well, right, and that's what 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 disappoints me most is the identity Christian mindset. It is still not clear of all the old leaven, for the most part. The word socialism was basically co-opted by the Jews to describe. And a softer form of of communism or Marxism, and um, that's not a proper use of the term socialism. And and pure socialism, as as it was conceived, national socialism was actually conceived by French um, philosophers in 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 maybe the late 18th and, and 19th centuries, and they they really weren't inventing anything new. They were rather quantifying something that's been with us from the dawn of time. Aside from that, pure socialism in its original form has nothing at all to do with Marxism. It's not collectivism. It's not Marxism. It it appreciates private property, and it puts it into the hands of the producers. It it has nothing at all to do with the Jews, with communism, or, or with Marxism. The Jews have co-opted the term. People that um, reject national socialism on its surface. I'm not saying that national socialism is perfect. By any means, no system devised by man has ever been perfect, including the American experiment, of which the biggest failure was a total failure to defend itself from within and, and to defend those who would take advantage of its ideals in order to corrupt it.
1: Uh, and I've noticed the American system, it's a lot more difficult to subvert than any of the systems in Europe. But once the subversion has begun and is underway, it's a lot more difficult to counter the subversion where since America politically, it's a winner take all where in Europe, if you get 20% of the votes in Britain, your party is going to have 20% of the representation in parliament where if you get 20% of a Senate race in New York and I get 20% in Ohio, that means, you know, good try, see you again, later you lose. You get nothing.
0: Right. Right. And, and, and Hitler didn't like parliamentarianism anyway, and, and, and he understood that it was a, a, a continual struggle in, in stalemate and, and, a, and a seesaw between the left and the right, and that nothing ever really got done. that was of any import when it needed to get done mm-hmm. because of that. And we have that to a degree here also. It, it's, um, that, that's why the Fuhrer in, in the German system, the German system, the, the National Socialist system was democratic. However, once a particular party gained a majority, the leader of that party had total power until the next election. And, and um, yes, National Socialist Germany had elections. They just didn't have them during the war. Well, which is rather um, historically—that's you know a lot of people um, follow the Jew lead, and, and identity Christians do this too. They follow the Jew lead in, con- in in condemning National Socialist Germany for not holding elections during a war. But well,
1: elections aren't elections aren't the end all be all of a society.
0: Well, well, absolutely, and and let me say that traditionally, in in, in the Greek, in, 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 in ancient Greece. When they went to war, they appointed basically a, a, a single leader who, who had carte blanche power over the course of the war, and that's that, that's very evident in um, in the Peloponnesian Wars and in the in the um, not so much the Peloponnesian Wars, but in the Persian War when they went to war when they were invaded by the Persians, they elected a they chose a a leader over the army, and, and he was a Spartan, and, he was the, and, and the Athenians and the Spartans made a deal, right? And the Athenians cho- chose a leader over the sea, over the navies, and, and those leaders for the course of the war, that they basically got everything they wanted and had all the power they wanted. Now, the Roman system, what was what was absolutely dictatorial in times of war, when a war came about, the Roman Senate chose a dictator. He was appointed dictator. He was given absolute power over the entire nation for the entire duration of the war and was expected to resign that power at the end of the war. And, and, and there were actually a lot of instances. Um, Marcus Furius was one. Cincinnatus was another. Um, Sulla, Sulla became a dictator and held it for a long time because he thought that the, um, that the, the empire needed and, and it was an empire already by that time that it needed reform and resigned as soon as those reforms were effected and the republic could be restored it, it happened quite often in ancient Rome
1: Well, I was thinking of the um, story of Quintus Fabius Maximus he was a dictator during the second Punic War and they didn't like how the war was going, so they relieved him. And then later they realized his strategy was right, so they recalled him and made him dictator again. But the one time they relieved him, you know, he just relinquished command of his soldiers and he went home.
0: Well, well right. A- absolutely. And, and that, that happens quite often in, in, in the history of the Roman Republic, where a man was appointed dictator, had complete control, a- and um, would relieve himself at the end of the war. And, and, that
1: can only work I- in a very virtuous society.
0: Well, yes, it only works in a virtuous society. That's absolutely true.
1: If we named some you know, general, a dictator in this country, that'd be the end of it. He'd we'd never leave.
0: Well, well, George Washington, to his credit, had the opportunity to be king and turned it down. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't want to copy the errors of Europe, and, and we just made a whole new set of errors.
1: That, that, that makes started. me wonder, what were the revolutionary officers fighting for if, if, as soon as we win against the British? They try and make Washington a king.
0: Right, and, and there was a push to have him made a king, and, and um, it, it never would have worked. The, the only other man in history that I know of offhand who, who um, had an opportunity to be a king and turned it down cordially was Belisarius. Well, when he defeated the Goths in Italy, he, he, the people of Italy wanted to make him king, and he was actually the general of Justinian. Uh, of course, he would have had to go to war with Justinian if he became king, but he turned it down.
1: He was one of the um, generals sent by the Byzantine expedition to retake the Western lands.
0: Right. right. He, he, Around, he was the five hundred. Right. He was the most famous of the Byzantine generals in that period. Okay. Aside from that, we're, we're being distracted. Right. The, the background on this paper, it, it it's this is from Randall beitwerk at the german propaganda archive calvin dot edu we've used quite a bit of his translations every time we um practically every time we presented a speech or a book or a booklet from national socialist germany it's quite often been this this man's work he he is not he he, he is um I believe from everything I've read about him, he's a very fair translator of national socialist literature, but he is by no means a national socialist apologist. He actually um, despises Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and has bought the entire um, Western paradigm concerning World War II.
1: He's not pulling a Ralph Mannheim and doing a false translation.
0: Well well, right. Ralph Mannheim Ralph Mannheim's translation of Mein Kampf is, is Mein Kampf is totally dishonest. Ralph Mannheim actually translated Hitler purposely to make him sound like a babbling idiot, and then he complained about Hitler in, in the introduction to his translation that Hitler was a babbling idiot. It's a totally dishonest translation. Ralph Mannheim should have been taken out, and it, it, he should end up like Rosa Luxemburg, right? The background on this paper is um, by Randall Beitwerk, and it, he says this widely distributed Nazi, and he uses the term Nazi quite often, pamphlet first appeared in 1929. I, Randall Beitwerk, am working from a 1932 copy and have not compared it with the first versions. But it does not look as if significant changes were made as it was reissued. The title loosely translated is, Those Damn Nazis. Literally, it translates as something like, Those Cursed Swastika Lads. But that does not really work in English. At least several hundred thousand copies were printed. It is a good summary of the basic lines of Nazi propaganda just before Hitler's takeover in 1933. The booklet included five cartoons by, I'm going to pronounce this Mjolnir, I'm not sure, it's M-J-O-L-N-I-R, Goebbels cartoonist, three of which I include here, and of course we can't show the cartoons on a radio program, on, on, on a podcast. Mjolnir also produced some of the most familiar Nazi posters, The source for this, Joseph Goebbels and Mjolnir Diverfluchten Hockenkrusler Etwas zum Nachdenken, published in Munich, 1932. Before um, getting into the text of Those Damn Nazis by Joseph Goebbels, I would like to um, present some of the ideas from Mein Kampf Concerning Adolf Hitler's definition of a state, this is from Book 1, Chapter 4 of the Murphy edition, pages 93 and 95, and I quote, now the truth is that the state in itself has nothing whatsoever to do with any definite economic concept or definite Economic development; it does not arise from a compact made between contracting parties within a certain delimited territory for the purpose of serving economic ends. Now we have to bear in mind that the the, the Bolshevik communist state set up in Russia after the defeat of the Tsar and the, and the White armies that state was set up for purely economic purposes it had no care as to the content and character of its citizenry of, of their race of their nationality it 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 had no concept of, of a um, what well, well a patriotic and and therefore a patriarchal society in fact the jews who set it up were, were adamantly contrary to the concept of a patriarchal or, or patriotic, and, and I use the two words together because you can't really have one without the other. You can't have a true patriotic society unless you have a common patriarch, because that's what the word means. And and and, and this is basically one of the the major reasons and and, and the um. For Adolf Hitler's concept, uh, conception of a state, and, and he properly represents what a state actually should be. It should be the the state should be formed by a race of people for its protection, and we'll see that that was Hitler's attitude. The state is a community of living beings, and I'm quoting again from Mein Kampf, who have kindred physical and spiritual natures organized for the purpose of assuring the conservation of their own kind and to help towards fulfilling those ends which Providence has assigned to that particular race or racial branch. Therein and therein alone lie the purpose and meaning of a state. Economic activity is one of the many auxiliary means which are necessary for the attainment of those aims. But economic activity is never the origin or purpose of a state, except where a state has been originally founded, such as the Bolshevik communist government in in Russia, has been originally founded on a false and unnatural basis. The instinct for the preservation of one's own species is the primary cause that leads to the formation of human communities. Hence, the state is a racial organism, not an economic organization. The difference between the two is so great as to be incomprehensible to our contemporary so-called statesmen. And let me say that this is Adolf Hitler, and these ideas are totally incomprehensible to any damn Jew I ever met. That is why they like to believe that the state may be constituted as an economic structure, whereas the truth is that it has always resulted from the exercise of those qualities which are part of the will to preserve the species, and the race. But these qualities exist and operate through the heroic virtues and have nothing to do with commercial egoism. For the conservation of the species always presupposes that the individual is ready to sacrifice himself. And that is a purely Christian philosophy. A state has never arisen from commercial causes for the purpose of peacefully serving commercial ends. But states have always arisen from the instinct to maintain the racial group, unless, of course, you're a Jew and you're an infiltrator. Then you've found states that are materialistic based on commercial ends, or, or you pervert them into materialistic entities based on commercial ends, which the United States has been perverted into by the Jews these last 150 years to get back to Adolf Hitler, whether this instinct manifests itself in the heroic sphere or in the sphere of cunning and chicanery. In the first case, we had the Aryan states. The Aryan states manifested their, that their foundations were built on heroism, on, 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 on the noble cause of defending one's own race and, and carving out it, it, its area and its niche in the world to make sure that it would survive. And Hitler is contrasting that to the Jewish methods of forming states. In the first case, we have the Aryan states, based on the principles of work and cultural development. In the second case, we have the Jewish parasitic colonies. But as soon as economic interests begin to predominate, Over the racial and cultural instincts in a people or a state, these economic interests unloose the causes that lead to subjugation and oppression. Anybody who reads Adolf Hitler and who understands modern history and who understands the plight of all of the Western nations under the thumb of the Jew and Jewish capitalism should understand that Adolf Hitler had tremendous insight into what was going on when the Jews infiltrated the West, into what their aims were, and into what the end result would be.
1: And we're living in that end result right now, aren't we? Most people think that you ask an American what a state is or what a nation is, and he would just say it's some lines on a map, and it's a central government, and everybody's loyal to the same central government.
0: Absolutely, and 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 you know, I I don't know if I included it here. It, it might be in, in um. It might actually be in those damn Nazis, but but Goebbels and Hitler spoke about the, the um the symbols of the state and, and how that they should not be promoted above. The the race and the nation and and that's exactly what happened here in America and and we'll see it before this presentation is over with I'm certain that's exactly what happened here in America with that damned pledge of allegiance to a flag. The the flag symbol transcended the nation and the race and people began to pledge blind allegiance to the flag And, and then The the oligarchs, the Jews, the bankers, the people behind the power of government, they were able to corrupt and and lead the nation because people pledged and and believed religiously in that blind allegiance to the flag, my country right or wrong. Well, Well, that's not the way it should have been. This is from Hitler's explanation Now now that we've seen how he defines the state, the following is from Hitler's explanation of the purposes for a state from Mein Kampf, book one, I'm sorry, book two, chapter four, the Murphy edition, page 222. And and all of this text is available at mk.christigenia.org. A state may be considered as a model example if it adequately serves not only the vital needs of the racial stock it represents, but if it actually assures by its own existence the preservation of the same racial stock. No matter what general cultural significance this state institution may have in the eyes of the rest of the world. In other words, it doesn't matter what sort of state it is what sort of political system it has, its purpose is to maintain the people of the nation which it governs. Its purpose is to maintain the racial stock of its people. For it is not the task of the state to create human capabilities, as, and, and, and somebody should tell Washington, right? But only to assure free scope for the exercise of capabilities that already exist, On the other hand, a state may be called bad if, in spite of the existence of a high cultural level, it dooms to destruction the bearers of that culture by breaking up their racial uniformity, exactly what we're experiencing here right now. For the practical effect of such a policy would be to destroy those conditions that are indispensable for the ulterior existence of that culture which the state did not create. The United States of America. The government in Washington did not create our culture or the abilities of our people.
1: Well, we created it. We always had our abilities, and we used our abilities exactly. to create our culture.
0: And that's what Hitler's saying. Which the state did not create, but which is the fruit of the creative power inherent in the racial stock, whose existence is assured by being united in the living organism of the state. Well, that's the way it should have been, right? Once again, let me emphasize the fact that the state itself is not the substance, but the form. Therefore, the cultural level is not the standard by which we can judge the value of the state in which that people lives. It is evident that a people which is endowed with high creative powers in the cultural sphere is of more worth than the tribe of Negroes, and yet, the stateal organization of the former, if judged from the standpoint of efficiency, may be worse than that of the Negroes. In other words, the Negroes are, prob- are, are, are certainly, when comparing the states of Europe, of a much lower culture. But if their governmental organization, however they rule themselves, protects their racial integrity, then they're better off than a wayward European government which rules over a people of a much higher cultural level.
1: So what Hitler's basically saying is that an outsider, a white man will not be welcomed by a tribe in the Congo and told you can become one of our tribe and hang out with us and mate with us. They don't want an outsider in the tribe, but the Europeans would take people from the Congo, bring them to London and pass them off at parties and clean white clothing and Absolutely. baptize them and accept them in their society.
0: Absolutely. So in that instance, the, the tribe of Negroes has a better state institution than the people in England. Yes, that's exactly it. And, and that's, that, that's the sad truth. That's because the Jews haven't infiltrated the, 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 um, <laughs> all of the black tribes yet, I guess. Even the, not even the best of states and statal institutions can evolve faculties from a people which they lack and which they never possessed. But a bad state may gradually destroy the faculties which once existed. This it can do by allowing or favoring the suppression of those who are the bearers of a racial culture. Culture is a racial construct. Civilization is a racial construct. The state can create neither. But the state, the basis of the state, should be to protect both. And all Western states, under the sum of the Jew, under the sum of these central banks, which have come to run our governments because they create our money, all Western states have failed. And they've all been perverted. Because the Jew is an international creature doesn't care for borders, because man has been, under the Jew, has been lowered to the level of a labor commodity, a commodity a commodity of labor. Uh, uh, labor is the commodity, and man is the supplier of that commodity. And all labor is equal in the eyes of the Jew, because the Jew despises all labor. The, the Jew hates honest work and has always hated honest work. So all honest work is demoted to the lowest possible level in society. That's what Marxism is, and that's what capitalism is. They both do that because they are both the product of the Jew. And a lot of Christian that are caught up in this, that this socialism is bad because socialism is a word is misused and, and capitalism is good, well, well, they just play right into the hands of the Jew. That their brains are basically possessed by Satan because capitalism is actually evil.
1: Well, Marxism basically dehumanizes and devalues labor, doesn't it, by declaring so,
0: that labor
1: is just a, another commodity and it should be free to cross borders, just like we would send a a crate of apples across the border.
0: Marxism does that, and capitalism does that. They both do it. They're both internationalist in, 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 in their nature. Adolf Hitler knew it. He warned us about it time and again, but we didn't listen because he's, an, he's a mean, evil Nazi. He's, he's one of those damn Nazis, right? <laughs> well, would you like to begin presenting Joseph Goebbels' paper, Those Damn Nazis?
1: those damn nazis by dr joseph goebbels why are we nationalists we are nationalists because we see the nation as the only way to bring all the forces of the nation together to preserve and improve our existence and the conditions under which we live the nation is an organic no the organic union of a people to protect its life to be national is to affirm the union in word and deed To be national has nothing to do with a form of government or a symbol. It is an affirmation of things, not forms. Forms can change. Their content remains. If form and content agree, then the nationalist affirms both. If they conflict, the nationalist fights for the content and against the form. Isn't that what we're seeing in this country where when, when people want us to pledge our allegiance to the republic or rather to the government that claims to be a republic, we recognize that, the government is still there, but it's not a republic anymore. That They pay lip service to a constitution that's been gutted.
0: Well, well right. Americans, for, for um, ever since the war of Northern Aggression, the Civil War, right? I hate calling it a Civil War because it wasn't a Civil War by any means. Ever since the Civil War, we've been fighting for the form of government. We fought for the form of government during the Civil War. on on preserving the Union, when in essence, we were really slaughtering our brethren and attempting to subjugate him to the Union. So the North, being victorious in the Civil War, basically enslaved the states of the South by holding them forcibly to the form where we should have been concerned about the content We should have been concerned about the content of our nation, which is our brother's wife. We should not have gone to war over the form. And we've been fighting for the form of government ever since with no care for our race or our nation. If we cared for our race or our nation, we wouldn't send tens of thousands of our boys off to, to the jungles of Vietnam to die for some squat monster yellow gooks that don't give a damn about us or our race. And never did, and never will.
1: And how could we say that they were fighting for freedom? Have the Vietnamese ever developed a republic? They don't know, they don't, they don't know the definition of the word freedom.
0: What we were fighting for, in essence, was the freedom uh, of Jewish capitalists to steal our uh, our machine tools and, and our ideas and, and bring them over there so they could make widgets to sell back to us cheaper than we could make them over here. What we, was, what we were fighting for the freedom of the Jew to exploit the cheap labor markets of Asia.
1: All right. Continue. One may not put the symbol above the content. If that happens, the battle is on the wrong field and one's strength is lost in formalism. The real aim of nationalism, the nation, is lost. And again, that's what we have today with flag worship.
0: Absolutely.
1: That is how things are today in Germany. Nationalism has turned into bourgeois patriotism, and its defenders are battling windmills.
0: Now, now let me say that this was originally written in 1928, before the National Socialists came to power. And Germany, under the Weimar Republic, was exactly the way America was in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And and now I think America is degraded well beyond what Germany was in, in the decadence of the Weimar Republic, and, and that decadence was both economic and it was social and moral and religious.
1: These uh, these American flag worshiping flag kissing patriots who shout about the Constitution, they don't really have an idea for a or a, a vision for the nation, do they? If you ask them. What should America be? They think we just need less spending and it's okay if there's 150 million non-whites here who just want to milk the country dry.
0: Well, well, they're always arguing with each other inside of the box that the Jews set up for them. That They're always arguing inside of the Jewish paradigm. They don't look outside of the Jewish paradigm. They don't have the ability to look outside of the Jewish paradigm because everything that they know comes from the Jewish media.
1: So their patriotism, it's it's very limited. It's I think Hitler said that they may want the same objective that the nationalists want, but the way in which they go about pursuing their objectives guarantees that they will never reach those goals. Well,
0: well right, and and it's sick to even call what 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 allegiance they have to the flag and to Washington is not patriotism, because in order to be patriotic, you need. To, to, to be following a common patriarch. Uh, I mean, that's the meaning of the word. We, we can't disconnect. Well, we can't play the Jew word games and disconnect words and their meanings and use them however the Jew wants us to use them. The word patriot comes from the Latin word pater, which means father. And if we all have allegiance to the same father, and, and in order to do that we all have to have a genetic connection to that same father, then we could be patriotic together.
1: Excellent. Can One says Germany and means the monarchy. Another proclaims freedom and means black, white, and red, the colors of the German flag. Would our situation today be any different if we replaced the Republic with a monarchy and flew the black, white, red flag? The colony would have different wallpaper, but its nature, its content, Would stay the same. Indeed, things would be even worse for a facade that conceals the facts dissipates the forces today fighting against slavery. Bourgeois patriotism is the privilege of a class. It is the real reason for its decline. When 30 million are for something and 30 million are against it, things balance out and nothing happens. That is how things are with us. We are the world's pariah, not because we do not have the courage to resist but rather because our entire national energy is wasted in eternal and unproductive squabbling between the right and the left. Our way only goes downward, and today one can already predict when we will fall into the abyss.
0: Now, let me explain how, how um, Goebbels sees his term bourgeois, right? But Because we don't want to get him confused with the Marxists, right? The, the Marxists, the, the, they, in, in the Bolshevik Revolution and later... The, the Marxists used the term bourgeois to describe anybody who was any sort of holder of, of the means of production at any level. Well, whether you owned a small mom-and-pop shop and had two employees, or, or whether you owned a, a, a giant corporate industrial facility and had 200 employees, that they classified you as a member of the bourgeois. Where Goebbels uses the term bourgeois, only of the most privileged classes in Germany, the people who held enough property through, through the stock exchanges so that they would not have to themselves perform any labor at all, that all of their income well, and, and all of their wealth was generated through the fact that they held stock in companies or or lived off of usury, that's who he considered the bourgeois, was only the most privileged of of the the holders of the means of production, which is basically, uh, I mean, if I was going to describe how that term would be used today in America, uh, I would start listing off like like Goldman Sachs and, and all the Jews that, that, that control all the boards of, of directors of all the major corporations and, and the bankers, they would be the bourgeois today because they hold all that wealth, at least for the greatest part. The, the, the Rockefellers and the Kennedys that live off of trusts and, and property holdings, whether industrial or not, they would be the bourgeois. And, and they were a, um, a source of scorn, and And, uh, and I'll supply a, a quote or two from Mein Kampf later on in this.
1: nationalism is more wide-reaching than internationalism it sees things as they are only he who respects himself can respect others if as a german nationalist i affirm germany how can i hold it against a french nationalist who affirms france only when these affirmations conflict in vital ways will there be a power political struggle internationalism cannot undo this reality its attempts at proof Fail completely, And even when the facts seem to have some validity, nature, blood, the will to life, and the struggle for existence on this hard earth prove the falsity of fine theories. The sin of bourgeois patriotism was to confound a certain economic form with the national. It connected two things that are entirely different. Forms of the economy, however firm they may seem, are changeable. The nation is eternal. If I mix the eternal and the temporal, the eternal will necessarily collapse when the temporal collapses. This was the real cause for the collapse of liberal society. It was rooted not in the eternal, but in the temporal. And when the temporal declined, it took the eternal down with it. Today, it is only an excuse for a system that brings growing economic misery. That is the only reason why international Jewry organizes the battle of the proletarian forces against both powers, the economy and the nation, and defeats them. From this understanding, the young nationalism draws its absolute demand. The faith in the nation is a matter for everyone, never a group, a class, or an economic clique. The eternal must be distinguished from the temporal, maintaining a rotten economic system has nothing to do with nationalism, which is an annihilation of the fatherland.
0: An affirmation of the fatherland, I'm sorry.
1: Yes, an affirmation of the fatherland. I can love Germany and hate capitalism. Not only can I, I must. Only the annihilation of a system of exploitation carries with it the core of the rebirth of our people.
0: The, The Jewish mind wants us to connect the economic system that we live under to our nation. And, and, and Goebbels and, and Hitler protest against that. The nation it is based upon the race, and, and it's disconnected, it's independent of any economic system. That's the difference between the form and the content that, that, that Hitler and Goebbels have both been explaining in this material that we put together. The, the, the form is the economic system or the system of government And and together they create the form that the nation is in, how it operates. But they're independent of the nation itself. You could take 100 million people, all of pure Germanic blood, and and they're basically going to have the same character and and the same creative ability, no matter what economic system or or form of government they're living under.
1: How often do we hear, though, from the bourgeois Nationalist patriot types in this country, the neoconservatives, that if you question globalism or capitalism, you're un-American and you hate this country because this country is based on capitalism.
0: Well, well right, and and that's that Jewish programming that and and it, we're all stuck in that Jewish paradigm of two alternatives: capitalism and communism, or capitalism and some days it's called socialism, and, and we're all stuck in that. When really, right now, today in America. We're a capitalist nation and it can be proven if we actually read the Communist Manifesto that we're a communist nation at the same time. And that's because they do very well together because we're really a Talmudic nation. We're being run by Talmudic Jews, the Talmudic Jews who have been usurers since the dawn of time. What we we are in debt slavery to the Talmudic Jews who will impose any form of government upon us that they want right now. And that's the way it is. And until we get out of the box, we're not even going to see that there's a problem. A lot of people understand there's a problem, but they don't exactly know what the problem is. They can't put their fingers on it because they keep debating back and forth within the same Jew paradigm. But within that, that they're they're stuck in that box. They can't see outside the box Un- until that they open their minds to that. Adolf Hitler warned us: it's throughout Mein Kampf that international capitalism and international Marxism were two arms of the same beast working together to destroy and enslave the West, and that's exactly what they've done.
1: Well, seems that the. American Jewish-run companies are practicing capitalism on a global stage, and domestically we have a lot of socialist, communist tax-and-spend redistribution of wealth going on. So America is simultaneously practicing capitalism and communism.
0: Well, well, right, and national socialism did not redistribute
1: wealth. And American government is very hostile to private property. There's, There's no question about it. Would you agree, Bill?
0: Absolutely. It, it's become extremely hostile to private property. Uh, I know, I mean, my family has a house in, in New York that's, that we paid $75,000 for, and, and the tax bill for that house is $5,200 a year. I mean, if you have to pay for your house in taxes every 15 years, that, that's a serious hostility to private property. And and the the amount of taxes in, in any American state is commensurate with the percentage of Jews. There, there's no doubt. That's why New York and New Jersey are the the the, the states in, with the highest property taxes.
1: That's why states like Wyoming and the Dakotas they basically don't have state property. They don't have property tax or state income tax. Right. Right. To continue, we are nationalists because as Germans, we love Germany. Because we love Germany, we want to preserve it and fight against those who would destroy it. If a communist shouts down with nationalism, he means the hypocritical bourgeois patriotism that sees the economy only as a system of slavery. If we make clear to the man of the left that nationalism and capitalism, that is the affirmation of the fatherland and the misuse of its resources, have nothing to do with each other, indeed, they go together like fire and water, and even as a socialist he will come to affirm the nation which he will want to conquer
0: in other words nationalism is an affirmation of the fatherland and capitalism is a misuse of, of the, the resources of the nation and, and it
1: certainly is All right. that is our real task as national socialists we were the first to recognize the connection and the first to begin the struggle because we are socialists We have felt the deepest blessings of the nation, and because we are nationalists, we want to promote socialist justice in a new Germany. A young fatherland will rise when the socialist front is firm. Socialism will become reality when the fatherland is free.
0: So so we see that Germany is a nationalist state which only cares about one thing, the preservation of the race of people upon which the state was founded. The, the, the founding of the state is a result of the will to preservation of the race of the people. Right. You can't separate. In, in, in thinking about Adolf Hitler's political philosophy, there's no separating the state and the people. In America, what we have two different entities, the state and the people. And, and the proof of that is that we could take all of these aliens in and, and, and we have to respect them as fellow citizens because as soon as they cross the border, somehow magically they're a part of, of the, the people of the state, which the state governs. It, it, it's ridiculous. It, it's the, the state and the people are entirely disconnected. That happened with the 14th Amendment. That was basically the, the, the conquering of the American people and the demotion of all of them to slavery. Because anybody could just simply um, wave a wand over them, and, and they become members of the people over which the state governs. And, and that's backwards. That, that's backwards. The state, you know, the founding fathers, that they did protect the nation with one clause – the, in, in the preamble to the U.S. Constitution, that the Constitution was for us, and, and the union, w- which the Constitution represented, was for us and our posterity, and posterity means offspring.
1: Right, so these Mexicans, how can they possibly be our posterity? Well,
0: well right. Somehow, the people just let that, that big one slip, right? Well, you know, uh, that's incredible that, that they didn't recognize that right away. That, that's would be incredible. The 14th Amendment is absolutely unconstitutional. Well, on
1: January 4th, 1848, John Calhoun, senator from South Carolina, he approved the annexation of Texas when it happened a decade earlier, or, or, or a while earlier. But he did not approve annexing Mexico. Mexico had just lost in the war, and there were some congressmen that wanted to annex every inch of Mexican territory. And he, he declared, quote, We have never dreamt of incorporating into our union any but the Caucasian race, the free white race. To incorporate Mexico would be the very first instance of the kind of incorporating an Indian race, for more than half of the Mexicans are Indians, and the other is composed chiefly of mixed tribes. I protest against such a union as that. Ours, sir, is the government of a white race. We are anxious to force free government on all, and I see that it has been urged that it is the mission of this country to spread civil and religious liberty over all the world, and especially over this continent. It is a great mistake.
0: Well, well absolutely.
1: And today, I don't aren't we supposedly on some crusade to spread American democracy across the world? And by that, they mean make, make um, a secure, open market for a Jewish-run company to do business.
0: Well, well, that's because the symbols have replaced the, the, the nation as the object of veneration and, and the object of what, which is worthy of the, the protection of the people, right? I, I mean, the symbols are worshipped now and, and the people are forgotten about.
1: And this present American state is not deserving of the protection and the defense that the people could afford it.
0: Why are we socialists? We are socialists because we see in socialism that... That is the union of all citizens, the only chance to maintain our racial inheritance and to regain our political freedom and renew our German state. And we're going to learn that Goebbels' view of what socialism is and, and Hitler's is quite different than that of Marx and, and Engels and, and the Jew bastards that destroyed white Russia. Socialism is the doctrine of liberation for the working class. It promotes the rise of the fourth class and its incorporation in the political organism of our fatherland and is inextricably bound to breaking the present slavery and regaining German freedom. We have to understand that in the capitalist system of the Weimar Republic, the people had no say in matters whatsoever. And if you don't believe that, well, you better wake the hell up and look at America today because in this capitalist system, the people, especially the original people, the, the posterity of, of those creators of the U.S. Constitution, the people really have no say at all in matters whatsoever. There's no say in, in, in anything that matters.
1: Well, you know, Bill, I was thinking of something. At a Paul Fromm meeting, he was discussing an issue, and he posed the question, were our nations broken without other races? And he, he wondered whether or not Britain was capable of functioning prior to the arrival of the Indians and Pakistanis and just how Britain managed to get along for so long and how did the French get along before the Muslims, the Negroes, and the Arabs showed up. And then he posed the question, when were the people ever consulted and asked, would you like the um, fundamental character and demographic composition of your nation changed over the next decade because we're planning on bringing 10 million you know, foreigners in your nation? Would you like that? And it was never put to a plebiscite.
0: No, 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 nowhere was it ever voted on. Nowhere was it ever voted on in any Western democracy whether or not the people of that Western democracy would like to be overrun with aliens. It was never voted on anywhere
1: and it's, it's, it's insulting in a way isn't it when they say that we have to have a multicultural nation in america and britain and all these other countries it's the idea that a nation comprised of welshmen englishmen and scotsmen and irish is somehow broken and non-functioning it needs to be enriched by negroes who never had a written language and on top of it the people weren't even asked if that's how they wanted things to change
0: well, well that, that is the power of Jewish propaganda and control of the media and, and Jewish capitalism and its control of the government.
1: So They're basically raping the West.
0: Well, well yes, they are, but that, that's what, that, that is what Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels are defending Germany from, is that same thing that we have suffered these last hundred years. And and that's why to me it's absolutely disgraceful that identity Christians who who um, who scoff at who who detest Nazi Germany and and those evil people and those tyrannical dictators it, it's that they, they don't escape those Jewish labels and take an objective look at National Socialist Germany and understand what. We volunteered to destroy on behalf of the Jew.
1: Well, World War II can basically be summed up in the sense that Germany was a target for theft by the Jews. The Jews pilfered and robbed Germany. The Germans said, we're taking back our stuff, we're asserting ourselves, give us back what is ours. And the Jews cried for help, and they demanded that America come over and protect all their ill-gotten gains.
0: Well, oh, right, stole Germany in, in, uh, in, in the 19th, in, in the late 19th and the early 20th centuries. The Jews stole Germany from the German people, and America defended that, that, that
1: theft,
0: so, and so did Britain.
1: Someone's trying to pick your pocket. You have the nerve to fight back and refuse to hand over your wallet, so they call in help, and now someone hits you over the head and another guy holds you down while the original crook just takes your wallet and leaves.
0: That's the evils of our uh, our Jewish usury-based economies, and, and as soon as we agreed to that, we basically surrendered ourselves to Satan. Socialism is the doctrine of liberation for the working class. It promotes the rise of the fourth class and its incorporation in the political organism of our fatherland and is inextricably bound to breaking the present slavery and regaining German freedom. The, the German nation was also a slave to the central bankers and under the, the curse of the central banker created Great Depression when, the, when, when these evil damned Nazis came to power. right? Socialism therefore is not merely a matter of the oppressed class, but a matter for everyone. For freeing the German people from slavery is the goal of contemporary policy. Socialism gains its true form only through a total fighting brotherhood with the forward-striving energies of a newly awakened nationalism. Socialism is, in its pure form, care for your brother. Without nationalism, it is nothing, a phantom, a mere theory, a castle in the sky, a book, with it, it is everything. The future, freedom, the fatherland. Of course, Jewish communism and Marxism, they don't care about the content of the nation. That, 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 that that they espouse multiracialism, multiculturalism, the melting pot philosophy, and, and that way they can assert greater control over the diverse peoples of, 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 of basically what becomes a sewer The sin of liberal thinking was to overlook socialism's nation-building strengths, thereby allowing its energies – to go in anti-national directions. Of course, liberalism has no mechanism for defending a race, right? The sin of Marxism was to degrade socialism into a question of wages and the stomach, putting it in conflict with the state and its national existence. An understanding of both these facts leads us to a new sense of socialism, which sees its nature as nationalistic, state-building, liberating, and constructive. The bourgeois, that meaning the the, the wealthiest property holders and, and the, the money usurers, the bourgeois is about to leave the historical stage. In its place will come the class of productive workers, the working class that has been up until today oppressed. It is beginning to fulfill its political mission. Let me say that the goal of, of socialism, of, of original, pure socialism, the goal is to put the means of production into the hands of the producers. Farmers would own their own farms. Carpenters would own their own carpentry shops, and so on and so forth. That, that's the purest form of socialism.
1: Well, When the Jew hears about a farmer owning his own farm, he calls him a bourgeois pig and then throws him in a gulag.
0: Well, well right. The Jew wants... The, some, so, some stock corporation to own all the land, and, and then the Jew could bring in millions of Mexicans to work the farms because they work a lot cheaper than the farmer.
1: Or he will have the farms collectivized, and basically all the people will live like livestock, and they'll farm for the Jew, and they'll own nothing. And well, they well, might that, just keep 1% of what they grow.
0: That, that was the Bolshevik ideal, yes. The bourgeois is about to leave the historical stage. In its place will come the class of productive workers, the working class that has been up until today oppressed. It is beginning to fulfill its political mission. It is involved in a hard and bitter struggle for political power as it seeks to become part, not the central part, but part of the national organism, which under feudalism and, and, and under Jewish capitalism, The working class never had any political power in Europe. The battle began in the economic realm. It will finish in the political. It is not merely a matter of wages, not only a matter of the number of hours worked in a day, though we may never forget that these are an essential, perhaps even the most significant part of the socialist platform, but it is much more a matter of incorporating a powerful and responsible class in the state perhaps even to make it the dominant force in the future politics of the fatherland. The the bourgeois does not want to recognize the strength of the working class. Marxism has forced it into a straitjacket that will ruin it, while the working class gradually disintegrates in the Marxist front, bleeding itself dry. The bourgeois and Marxism have agreed on the general lines of capitalism, and see their task now to protect and defend it in various ways often concealed. And yes, the Marxist state in the Soviet Union produced a sort of state capitalism, but where all the wealth and all the profits fell to the hands of a few Jews, and, and the working class was, well, was absolutely subjected and enslaved. We are socialists because we see the social question as a matter of necessity and justice for the very existence of a state for our people, not a question of cheap pity or insulting sentimentality. The worker has a claim to a living standard that corresponds to what he produces. And this is basically the the German socialist um, paradigm what would be along the lines of the original American free enterprise paradigm that kind of got lost in, in, in capitalism in, in the 19th century.
1: And It seems that most of the 1890s to maybe 1930s British and American socialists and today the, the New England liberal elite, they have an insulting sentimentality towards the workers, don't they? But,
0: right, because they're all Marxists. They're all Marxists. We have no intention of begging for that right. Incorporating him in the state organism is not only a critical matter for him, but for the whole nation. The question is larger than the eight-hour day. It is a matter of forming a new state consciousness that includes every productive citizen. Since the political powers of the day are neither willing nor able to create such a situation, socialism must be fought for. It is a fighting slogan both inwardly and outwardly. It is aimed domestically at the bourgeois parties and Marxism at the same time because both are sworn enemies of the coming worker states. It is directed abroad at all powers that threaten our national existence and thereby the possibility of all of the coming socialist national state socialism is possible only in a state that is united domestically and free internationally the bourgeois and marxism are responsible for failing to reach both goals domestic unity and international freedom no matter how national and social these two forces present themselves they are the sworn enemies of a socialist national state we must therefore break both groups politically the lines of German socialists are sharp and our path is clear we are against the political bourgeois and for for genuine nationalism not a nationalism of elites like we basically have now here in America where only the bankers profit from patriotism we are against Marxism but for true socialism. We are for the first German national state of a socialist nature. We are for the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Now, of course, a lot of this is propaganda aimed at the working classes to get their support, but we have to understand, and and I uh, I will supply some citations forthcoming, that the socialist state in Germany not only appreciated property rights, but sought to protect them. The property rights they didn't um, seek to protect were the the property rights of the usurers who who had come to um, own a great percentage of German industry through the the, the creation of stock markets and joint stock companies. And Adolf Hitler actually complains about that. And, and, and that is basically, basically how the Jews loot and pill, looted and pillaged Germany in the late 19th and, and early 20th centuries. And that is basically also how they've looted and pillaged America. You think that you're free. Well, well you are free because the Jew got all of your intellectual property for nothing. Yeah, Americans are free. They were free for the Jews to loot and pillage and rape and destroy and take all of our industrial capacity and ship it off to China. So, yeah, in that sense, Americans are free. They're free whores. That's exactly what we've become.
1: We gave it away.
0: Absolutely. And National Socialism sought to prevent that, sought to keep the intellectual property of the German mind In Germany, Adolf Hitler on property and corporate stock ownership from Mein Kampf, book one, chapter 10 in the Murphy edition, I'm quoting from pages 135 and 136. A serious state of economic disruption was being brought about by the slow elimination of the personal control. Adolf Hitler appreciated personal property rights, of the personal control of vested interests and the gradual transference of the whole economic structure into the hands of joint stock companies. In this way, labor became degraded into an object of speculation In the hands of unscrupulous exploiters, the depersonalization of property ownership increased on a vast scale. Financial exchange circles began to triumph and made slow but sure progress in assuming control of the whole national life. He is revolting against exactly what America has suffered these past 70 or 80 years, what we, we've all of our um, industrial property, all of our manufacturing capability, all of our power to produce goods and food and services, has for the most part and, and very slowly and we still have some some small farms in, in, in this nation and family owned farms. However we have a lot less since Ronald Reagan, the great conservative, yeah that well that's a joke, took office. And and, and more and more of our farms are corporatized. More and more of our small farmers are put out of business and and, and we don't have any mom and pop manufacturing companies to speak of in this nation anymore. I know there's some, but they're very few in number, and they're only a small fraction of what they were even 50 years ago because the stock companies, the giant corporations have bought them all up. Well, that's what Hitler sought to prevent. Socialism in its pure form is putting the, the – the, the means of production into the hands of the producers. The farmer would own his own farm. That's how National Socialist Germany saw socialism.
1: Well, you know, there was an article, I think it was on Yahoo Finance, about a farmer. He paid $2 million to inherit his 80,000 acre ranch from his father, and he said that now the estate tax is increased so much that his children will have to pay $16 million to inherit this farm. And he said that, you know, he owns 80,000 acres of land, but he's not rich. He said that the land just generates, you know, an income and that most of that is already spent. You know, they have to pay for crops and seeds and whatnot and maintaining their combine. And he said by any, any standard, he is not rich. He doesn't have $16 million laying around. The wealth is tied up in the land.
0: Well, of course.
1: They're not going to be able to inherit the farm. They're going to have to sell the lion's share of it to pay estate state tax.
0: Well, well, right. If you inherit the farm, your, your, your tax burden is incredible, and, and there's no way you could keep the farming business because the, of, of the inheritance tax alone. Okay, one more quote from Hitler on this issue, and, and, and then I have an, another chapter to quote a paragraph from. Before the war, this is Adolf Hitler, Mein Kampf, before the war, the internationalization of the German economic structure had already begun by the roundabout way of share issues. It is true that a section of the German industrialists made a determined attempt to avert the danger, but in the end, they gave way before the united attacks of, the money-grabbing, uh, of money-grabbing capitalism, which was assisted in this fight by its faithful henchmen in the Marxist movement. Well, well, you want to take that and transfer it into 1960s and 1970s America. Well, when union unrest was always, and, and the American unions are basically based on Marxist principles, American labor unions, when, when union unrest was in the news all the time. When I was a kid, union unrest was always in the news. And before you knew it, all of those, the, those steel mills and those automotive manufacturing plants they were all closed and it was all being made overseas and adolf hitler resisted in germany exactly what happened here in america in the last 50 years imagine that we were warned about it but we didn't pay attention because we've been stuck inside the jew paradigm of communism versus capitalism And we don't even know what the hell happened, and most Americans today don't even know what the hell happened. You want to know what happened to America? You want to know why all of our property, all of our industrial capability, all of our power to produce the goods that we use every day and the tools that we need and, and the gadgets that we like, it's all in China, and if you want to know why? You just pick up Mein Kampf and read Mein Kampf, and you'll find out why. From Book 1, Chapter 8 of Mein Kampf, the Murphy edition, this would be page 124, and I quote... When I heard when I heard Gottfried Fetter's, Gottfried Fetter was an economist who had a major impact on Adolf Hitler's economic thinking. When I heard Gottfried Fetter's first lecture on the abolition of interest servitude, I understood immediately that here was a truth of transcendental importance for the future of the German people. The absolute separation of stock exchange capital from the economic life of the nation would make it possible to oppose the process of internationalization in German business without at the same time attacking capital as such. In other words, Adolf Hitler and and national socialists appreciated the right of a German citizen to own and and to finance and to build – um, manufacturing industries or or farms or any other sort of industry they didn 't want to attack the idea of personal property ownership and and and, and of building companies and hiring employees they didn 't want to attack the idea of capital they were attacking the internationalization of business through um, stock holdings and 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 all of the securitization process that the Jew has developed and through which he controls our economies. The usurer is if you allow usury to run your economy and your nation, the inevitable result is that the usurer come to control all the property. If you don't believe that, look at America today. Why do you think Goldman Sachs and all these banks who happened to be the owners of the Federal Reserve System and the Federal Reserve Banks, why are they running our country? Because they own it, because we gave it to them when, they, when we allowed them to print our money and loan it to us at usury. And that's what Adolf Hitler stopped. He threw the bankers out of Germany. He threw the usurers out of the temple.
1: Obviously, they didn't like that. They wanted to get back into the temple, and America and Britain were all too happy to abide. And the
0: American and and British people were whores to their own bankers, right? The absolute separation of stock exchange capital from the economic life of the nation would make it possible to oppose the process of internationalization in German business without at the same time attacking capital as such. For to do this would jeopardize the foundations of our independ- national independence. I clearly, I clearly saw what was developing in Germany, and I realized then that the stiffest fight we would have to wage would not be against the enemy nations, but against international capital. In Fetter's speech, I found an effective rallying cry for our coming struggle. Hitler on the importance and and to show his appreciation for, for small farms and how he understood that they were so important to the sustenance of the German people and the German nation. And this also shows again his appreciation of property rights, unlike Marxism, which does not recognize property rights. Marxism believes that the state should own everything, right? And I quote from Mein Kampf, this is from Book One, Chapter Four, and the Murphy edition, it's page eighty-six. In the first place, too much importance cannot be placed on the necessity for adopting a policy which will make it possible to maintain a healthy peasant class as the basis of the national community. Many of our present evils had their origin exclusively in the disproportion between the urban and rural portions of the population. Of course, the Marxist, the, the the communist manifesto wants to take practically everybody out of the rural areas, move them into the cities, and and, and then have the farms run by collectives. And, and and basically, what we have today is the equivalent of that in in corporate farming, right? A solid stock of small and medium farmers has at all times been the best protection which a nation could have against the social diseases that are prevalent today. Moreover, that is the only solution which guarantees the daily bread of a nation within the framework of its domestic national economy. With this condition once guaranteed, Industry and commerce would retire from the unhealthy position of foremost importance, which they hold today, 1928 Germany, and would take their due place within the general scheme of the national economy, adjusting the balance between demand and supply. This in, thus, industry and commerce would no longer constitute the basis of the national subsistence, but would be auxiliary institutions. That's where they belong. By fulfilling their proper function, which is to adjust the balance between national production and national consumption, they render the national subsistence more or less independent of foreign countries and thus assure the freedom and independence of the nation, especially at critical junctures in its history. Hitler is explaining that small and medium sized farms. And 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 what we consider family farms in America, they are the backbone of the national economy, and they ensure our survival, apart from and independent of foreign nations. Hitler on labor cap- labor-capital relations. This is from Mein Kampf, Book One, Chapter Twelve, which is page one ninety-three in the Murphy edition, or, or at least this. This text is from page 193 of the Murphy edition. A movement which sincerely endeavors to bring the German worker back into his folk community and rescue him from the folly of internationalism must wage a vigorous campaign against certain notions that are prevalent among the industrialists. One of these notions is that according to the concept of the folk community, the employee is obliged to surrender all his economic rights to the employer. That's the way it was before National Socialist Germany. And further, that the workers would come into conflict with the folk community if they should attempt to defend their own just and vital interests. Those who try to propagate such a notion are deliberate liars. The idea of a folk community does not impose any obligations on the one side that are not imposed on the other. A worker certainly does something which is contrary to the spirit of folk community if he acts entirely on his own initiative and puts forward exaggerated demands without taking the common good into consideration or the maintenance of the national economic structure. But an industrialist also acts against the spirit of the folk community if he adopts inhuman methods of exploitation, and misuses the working forces of the nation to make millions unjustly for himself from the sweat of the workers. He has no right to call himself national and no right to talk of a folk community, for he is only an unscrupulous egoist who sows the seed of social discontent and provokes a spirit of conflict which sooner or later must be injurious to the interests of the country. Adolf Hitler appreciated and, and, and his policy sought to protect private property ownership. But he also faced what every nation faces, and, and that is the, 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 if you care about the people, you don't want them to be oppressed, while on the other hand, the, the holders of property and capital have that – that they have to be able to make a profit, earn a living, and it should be a fair one. And, and to strike that balance is what Adolf Hitler did. The Marxists, on the other hand, would just revoke all private property ownership. The state except their own. That, right, except their own, right. The state owns everything. Nobody else owns anything, and, and and those who happen to be in charge of the state are really the only ones who enjoy the benefits of the private property, and and that's the way the the Soviet system worked. All
1: right.
0: So why the, the Jewish Bolsheviks and the apparatchiks and, and and the party members and the insiders are the only ones who who, who basically en, enjoyed the produce of the nation. Everybody else was just a a, a drone. All, all the entire working class, what, what was um, what was demoted to the lowest possible levels,:
1: And they just can't be open and honest about it. They have to call themselves the, the vanguard of the revolution or the they always come up with some nice cliche term, don't they? That really masks what's going on
0: right, but national socialism sought to strike a fair, a fair balance between capital. And the working class, where everybody would profit, and, and where workers were were rewarded for the produce of their hands, not on, not like Marxism, where all workers were paid an, an equivalent sum regardless of how well they worked, and and, and it's it's um, national socialism is is a much better system than either capitalism or communism, and and, and it should be pretty obvious. In the fruits that it produced in Germany between 1933 and, and 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 even up to 1943, 1944, not 1944, Germany had a thriving economy. Most German citizens were engaged and, and very satisfied in that economy, and that's very obvious.
1: All right. Why a workers' party? Work is not mankind's curse, but its blessing. A man becomes a man through labor. It elevates him, makes him great and aware, raises him above all other creatures. It is in the deepest sense creative, productive, and culture-producing. Without labor, no food. Without food, no life. The idea that the dirtier one's hands get, the more degrading the work, is a Jewish, not a German idea. As in every other question, sorry, every other area, the German first asks how, then what? It is less a question of the position, I feel, and more a question of how well I do the duty that God has given me. But it seems that the Jew doesn't want his hands to become physically dirty, but he doesn't mind if his soul, if he even, if you even want to call it that, becomes dirty. He doesn't mind if he dirties his hands figuratively by running to of the law, does he?
0: Well, the Jew really has no soul, right?
1: That's that's right, that's, that's right. What? Right, figurative filth.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, the Jew is a temporal creature. He only cares uh, about the things of this world, and, and to labor or to soil himself in labor is beneath him.
1: Mm-hmm. But to violate the law and ruin 10 million people so his stock will go up 5%, that's not beneath him.
0: Right. The, the Jew Labor is the Jew's last resort. I have seen Jews perform labor, but, but labor is the Jew's last resort.
1: He'd rather resort to crime before he resorts to labor.
0: And the, the, the Talmud, it, it's that there are many citations in the Talmud which can be supplied, if one wanted to do the research, that, that despise labor and especially agrarian
1: labor. To continue, We call ourselves a workers' party because we want to rescue the word work from its current definition and give it back its original meaning. Anyone who creates value is a creator, that is a worker. We refuse to distinguish kinds of work. Our only standard is whether the work serves the whole, or at least does not harm it, or if it is harmful. Work is service. If it works against the general welfare, then it is treason against the fatherland. Marxist nonsense claimed to free labor, yet it degraded the work of its members and saw it as a curse and disgrace. It can hardly be our goal to abolish labor, but rather to give new meaning and content. The worker in a capitalist state, and that is his deepest misfortune, is no longer a living human being, a creator, a maker. He has become a machine, a number, a cog in the machine without sense or understanding.
0: Now, now let it's, me say that, in, 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 and I remember this very, very clearly in the 1960s and, and 70s, that idea right there was prevalent in American society, the fear that we've all become cogs in the machines, we've all become numbers. But, well, here we have Joseph Goebbels warning about that decades before.
1: Hmm. So now we're just known by our employee number.
0: It, it's the inevitable result of capitalism. And, and, and it's another thing that National Socialist Germany sought to prevent, to, to take the worker the laborer, and, and the person who, who toiled to actually produce the things that we use every day and to promote him to his rightful place in society where both the Marxist and the capitalist concepts demoted that person to the state of a commodity and, and a consumer.
1: He is alienated from what he produces. Labor is for him only a way to survive, not a path to higher blessings, not a joy, not something in which to take pride or satisfaction or encouragement or a way to build character. We are a workers' party because we see in the coming battle between finance and labor the beginning and the end of the structure of the 20th century. We are on the side of labor and against finance. Money is the measuring rod of liberalism work and accomplishment, that of the socialist state. The liberal asks, what are you? The socialist asks, who are you? Worlds lie between. We do not want to make everyone the same, nor do we want levels in the population high and low, above and below. The aristocracy of the coming state will be determined not by possessions or money, but only on the quality of one's accomplishments. One earns merit through service. Men are distinguished by the results of their labor, That is the sure sign of the character and value of a person. The value of labor under socialism will be determined by its value to the state, to the whole community. Labor means creating value, not haggling over things. The soldier is a worker when he bears the sword to protect the national economy. The statesman also is a worker when he gives the nation a form and a will that helps it produce what is needed for life and freedom. Now, the Jews, of course, they just haggle over things, don't they?
0: That's all they do because the Jew the, – well, well, first, the Jew would reduce life to a series of economic choices, and, 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 and all labor and, – and no matter how no, – no matter the quality of your labor, all labor becomes a cheap commodity, and, and all laborers become basically equal drones – no matter their race, no matter their nature, no matter their spirit, and no matter the quality of their produce. They all get rewarded alike. we in national socialism, as Goebbels is trying to explain here, that the quality of your labor determines your, your, your ultimate reward and your ultimate value to the state, to your people.
1: I was thinking, we spoke earlier about movies, and I know you don't watch many, but there's one from the 80s, Wall Street. Have you seen it, Bill?
0: I vaguely remember seeing part of it.
1: Sometimes they they, they tell themselves. And they have this business executive, Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, and he's giving a little speech here, bragging. He says that 90% of the American public has little or no net worth. They own nothing. They, They just work their drones. And then he brags. He says that, I create nothing. I own. We make the rules.
0: Well, that's true.
1: That's what they do. I mean, do Jews create anything? They don't create anything. They, just, they take ownership of what we create, and then they pay some white person a pittance to manage it, and they pay other white people a pittance to operate it.
0: Well, well usury and, and, and the, the Jewish sense of identity are the keys there, right? That's how they've come to do that. St. Thomas Aquinas said that there's, by no means should a Jew be allowed to keep anything he's earned through usury. Usury is evil, it's a biblical evil, it's anti-Christian, and the National Socialist Government in Germany threw the central bankers out of the country and developed and and instituted a currency that was not based on usury. It was based on the value of labor in in the nation. It was based on the value of goods and services. It was not based
1: on usury. If you tell the Jew he can only keep what he um, grows with his own hands, he's probably going to starve to death, isn't he? Well
0: Well, that's what happened in, in, um, uh, in, in fifth century Europe, when Catholicism, or, or I hate to call it Catholicism, can't but, but it's the developing Roman Catholic Church and, and the Byzantine emperors. When Christianity became, and it wasn't really true Christianity, but it was a lot closer than than Catholicism is now to true Christianity. Well, when Christianity became the official religion of the empire, and when the Byzantine emperors forbid usury and forbid the Jew to loan um, money to Christians at usury, that basically drove the Jew out of the empire.
1: And then they came back a few centuries later with the, the, um, the Seljuks and the Ottomans. Well,
0: yeah, right. They came back a century later with the Turks and, and the Arabs and, and um, invaded Spain and Sicily and, and try, tried to um, get back what they lost, what well, they lost the opportunity to own because the Jew is the eternal usurer. And, and Christians, and, and all through the Middle Ages, Christians didn't even use money, never mind take usury. Uh, I mean, most Christians through most, through most of the history of Europe, most Christians didn't even use money. Everything was um, barter and, and their taxes were paid in kind, That meaning that if, if you produced 10 steer that year and, and you had to bring three steer to the lord of the manor, you brought them three steer. Yet you didn't pay your taxes in cash because you didn't have any cash.
1: I'm seeing a pattern in history. Whenever our people rise up and take back a nation, what rightly belongs to our people, and we tell the Jews no more usury, they just leave, they go somewhere, and they they then come back at the head of a foreign army and crush the nation. They did that with the Moors. They did that with, you know, America and Britain and the Soviets against Germany. So it, it seems to make little sense in letting them leave a nation just so they can organize and come back and destroy you.
0: The Jews brought the Muslims into Spain. The Jews brought the Moors into Spain. The Jews brought the, the Arabs and, and the Turks into the lands of the Byzantines. They, they were expelled from Christian lands, that they were expelled by, by virtue of the laws that were passed, that they couldn't act like Jews anymore. And, and for that reason, they wanted to reconquer those lands. So yes, that the Islamic invasions of Europe and Martin Luther wrote about this, and, and there have been many other writers that have written about this. The data is on um, my site. It's on org, It's on Clifton's site. Clifton's written about it at length with citations that the Islamic invasions of Europe were um, caused by the Jew who wanted to take Christian Europe back for himself. The Jew was very comfortable in Europe, What when Europe was what was um, Greco-Roman, a Greco-Roman pagan entity, the Jew was very comfortable, got along very well, the usurers were in Greece, the usurers were in Rome, they were there for a long time, the usury was very profitable, and, and, and it was basically the institution of Christianity which drove the Jew out of Europe.
1: A furrowed brow is as much a sign of labor as a powerful fist. A white-collar worker should not be ashamed to claim with pride that of which the manual labor boasts, labor. The relations between these two groups determine their mutual fate. Neither can survive without the other, for both are members of an organism that they must together maintain if they are to defend and expand their right to exist. We call ourselves a workers' party because we want to free labor from the chains of capitalism and Marxism, In battling for Germany's future, we freely admit to it and accept the odium from the liberal bourgeoisie that results. We know that we will succeed in bringing new blessings out of their curses. God gave the nation's territory to grow grain. The seed becomes grain and the grain becomes bread. The middleman of it all is labor. He who despises labor but accepts its benefits is a hypocrite. That is the deepest meaning of our movement. It gives things back their original significance. Unconcerned that today they may be in danger of sinking into the swamp of a collapsing worldview. He who creates value works and is a worker. A movement that wants to free labor is a workers' party. Therefore, we national socialists call ourselves a workers' party. When our victorious flag flies before us, we sing, We are the army of the swastika, raise high the red flags. We want to clear the way to freedom for German labor.
0: Now, now German socialism, and it should be clear just from what what we just read from Goebbels, German socialism appreciated the working class and believed that the worker um, be rewarded according to what he produced. In other words, if you laid around all day, you weren't going to be appreciated and, and you probably weren't going to get paid very much. Now, now, let me say that German National Socialism was never about the, the, the redistribution of wealth as we see it here in America even. Hitler did not believe in handouts. Hitler had, had, had asserted several times in Mein Kampf that handouts had a negative impact on the recipients. National socialism in Germany was about taking the lowly and raising them up by encouraging them to produce and to work and by giving them the means to do so. But socialism in Germany was never about welfare. Hitler had no welfare program and it was never about handouts. It was about raising your brother up and giving him, making sure that he had the means to make his own subsistence. Why do we oppose Jews? The final section of of this paper. We oppose the Jews because we are defending the freedom of the German people. The Jew is the cause and beneficiary of our slavery. Anybody who doesn't believe that should just go look at who sits on the boards of all those banks in New York. He has misused the social misery of the broad masses to deepen the dreadful splits between the right and left of our people. To divide Germany into two halves. Sounds like Democrats and Republicans, Right. Thereby, the dreadful—I'm uh, sorry—thereby concealing the true reason for the loss of the Great War and falsifying the nature of the revolution, and, and, and he's basically talking about the, um, the the First World War, right? The Great War. The Jew has no interest in solving the German question. He cannot have such an interest. He depends on it remaining unsolved. If the German people formed a united community and won back its freedom, there would be no place any longer for the Jew, because the economy would no longer be based on Jewish usury. His hand is strongest when the people lives in domestic and international slavery, not when it is free, industrious, self-aware, and determined. The Jew caused our problems and lives from them. And, and anybody who, who disbelieves that, and, and we did a segment, I, I think it was about a year and a half ago, from, from the work of the journalist Wilhelm Marr. I think it was 1868 or 1870, and, and his um, pamphlet, The Triumph of Judaism over Germanism. You remember that? Yeah. And, and that was 60 years at least before Goebbels wrote, 50 years at least before Goebbels wrote this. And, and Wilhelm Maher had warned about it. That is why we oppose the Jew as nationalists and as socialists. He has ruined our race, corrupted our morals. Everything that you see with Jewish pornography, with all the Jewish filth coming out of Hollywood, with all of the Jewish filth in the media, that they were doing the same thing to Germany. In the late 1800s, through the Weimar Republic, He has hollowed out our customs and broken our strength. Hollowed out our customs. Now, I'm not a big fan of Christmas, but look at what the Jew has done to Christmas. We owe it to him that we today are the pariah of the world. He was the leper among among as long as we were German. When we forgot our German nature, he triumphed over us and our future the Jew would denude us of our Saxon identity so that he could triumph over us by mixing us with other races and and cultures. The Jew is the plastic demon of decomposition. Where he finds filth and decay, he surfaces and begins his butcher's work among the nations. He hides behind a mask and presents himself as a friend to his victims. And before they know it, He has broken their neck. The Jew is uncreative. He produces nothing. He only haggles with products, with rags, clothing, pictures, jewels, grain, stocks, cures, peoples, and states. He has somehow stolen everything he deals in. When he attacks a state, he is a revolutionary. And as soon as he holds power, he preaches peace and order so that he could devour his conquests in comfort. Exactly what he did in America from the 1960s to this very day. What does anti-Semitism have to do with socialism? I would put the question this way. What does the Jew have to do with socialism? Socialism has to do with labor. When did one ever see him working instead of plundering, stealing and living from the sweat of others? As socialists... We are opponents of the Jews because we see, and and he he incorrectly uses the term Hebrews here. We have to forgive him of his ignorance in in that regard. Because we see in the Hebrews the incarnation of capitalism, of the misuse of the nation's goods. And capitalism has never been Hebrew. What does anti-Semitism have to do with nationalism? I would put the question this way. What does the Jew have to do with nationalism? Nationalism has to do with blood and race. The Jew is the enemy and destroyer of the purity of blood, the conscious destroyer of our race. As nationalists, we oppose the Jews because we see, and I'm going to substitute Jews for Hebrews, because we see the Jews as the eternal enemy of our national honor and of our national freedom. But the Jew, after all, is also a human being. Imagine that. Imagine Joseph Goebbels saying that. I wouldn't even say that. Certainly none of us doubts that. We only doubt that he is a decent human being. He does not get along with us. He lives by other laws than we do. The fact that he is a human being is not sufficient reason for us to allow him to subject us in inhumane ways. He may be a human being, but what kind of human being is he? If someone slaps your mother in the face, do you say thank you? He is, after all, a human being. That is not a human being. It is a monster. Yet how much worse has the Jew done to our mother Germany and is still doing today? There are also white Jews. Well, that's Goebbels' statement, not mine. True there are scoundrels among us, even though they are Germans, who act in immoral ways against their own racial and blood comrades. I think he's talking about Jews between the ears, perhaps.
1: Right. traitors.
0: Well, we have plenty of them in America today. But why do we call them white Jews? You use the term to describe something inferior and contemptible, just as we do. Why do you ask us why we oppose the Jews, when you, without knowing it, are one too. Anti-Semitism is not Christian. That means it is Christian to allow the Jews to go on as they are. I think he's addressing the idea that anti-Semitism is not Christian, when it certainly is, right? In the sense that anti-Semitism is misused today. That means it is Christian to allow the Jews to go on as they are, stripping the skin from our bodies and mocking us, To be a Christian means to love one's neighbor as oneself. My neighbor is my racial and blood brother. And and that is the correct view of the word neighbor in Christianity. If I love him, I have to hate his enemies. He who thinks German must despise the Jews. The one requires the other. And, And Goebbels is certainly right about that. And he who is Christian must despise the Jews. The one requires the other. Christ Himself, and I'm back to quoting Goebbels. Christ Himself saw that love did not always work. When He found the money changers in the temple, He did not say, "Children love one another." He took a whip and drove them out. We suppose the Jew. We oppose the Jews because we affirm the German people. The Jew is our great misfortune. It is not true that we eat Jews for breakfast. It is true that slowly but surely, he is stealing all that we have. We've experienced this in America today. It's too bad we didn't listen to Goebbels. Things would be different if we behaved as Germans. And as as Goebbels complains about the white Jews of of Germany here, most Americans today behave as Jews. Revolutionary Demands We do not enter parliament, remember this is 1928 and this was rewritten in 1932. We do not enter parliament to use parliamentary methods. We know that the fate of peoples is determined by personalities, never by parliamentary majorities. The essence of parliamentary democracy is the majority, which destroys personal responsibility and glorifies the masses. A few dozen rogues and crooks Run things behind the scenes. This is also the American experience. Aristocracy depends on accomplishment, the rule of the most able, and the subordination of the less capable to the will of the leadership. Any form of government, no matter how democratic or arist- aristocratic it may appear outwardly, rests on compulsion. The difference is only whether the compulsion is a blessing or a curse to the community. We demand What we demand is new, decisive, and radical. Revolutionary is the truest sense of the word. That has nothing to do with rioting and barricades. It may be that what happens here or there, but it is not an inherent part of the process. Revolutions are spiritual acts. They appear first in people, then in politics and the economy. New people form new structures. The transformation we want is, first of all, spiritual. That will necessarily change the way things are. This revolutionary act is beginning to be visible in us. The result is a new type of person visible to the knowing eye, the National Socialist. Consistent with his spiritual attitude, the National Socialist makes uncompromising demands in politics. There is no if and when for him, only an either or. He demands the return of German honor, Without honor, one has no right to life. A nation that has pawned its honor has pawned its bread. Honor is the foundation of any people's community. Losing our honor is the true cause of the loss of our freedom. In place of a slave colony, we want a restored German national state. The state is not an end in itself for us, but rather a means to an end. The true end is the race the sum of all the living creative forces of the people. The structure that today calls itself the German Republic is not a way to maintain our racial inheritance. It has become an end in itself with no real connection to the people and their needs. We want to abolish the slave colony and replace it with a people state in freedom. The state of Germany in 1928 was the state of America today? In fact, America has slipped even further down the path of decadence than Germany did under the Weimar Republic. Back to Goebbels. We want work and bread for every productive and national, every productive national and blood comrade. Pay should be according to accomplishment. Now that's socialism, but that's not Marxism. Pay should be according to accomplishment. That means more pay for German workers. That will stop the senseless fighting in which we engage today. In other words, more pay for German workers and less pay for the holders of capital that produce nothing, for the stockholders, for the Jewish bankers. First, provide housing and food for the people Then pay reparations, in other words, forget about Versailles until Germans are clothed and fed. No Democrat, no Republican has the right to complain about this demand, for it was first raised by a banner carrier of November Germany. November Germany is what the, the National Socialists called the Weimar Republic, which began in November of 1918. We only want to make the slogan a reality, provide essentials first. First we must meet the critical needs of the people. Then we can produce luxury goods, provide work for those willing to work, give the farmers land. The German foreign, the Jewish land speculation companies had held much of the land during Weimar Germany. Because they bought it up for a song, getting their capital from outside of the nation. The German foreign policy that today sells what we have at below market rates must be completely transformed and must focus radically on the German need for space, drawing the necessary power political conclusions. Peace among productive workers. Each should do his duty for the good of the whole community. The state then has the responsibility of protecting the individual, guaranteeing him the fruits of his labor. Again, that's anti-Marxist. Real socialism is not Marxism. The people's community must not be a mere phrase, but a revolutionary achievement following from the radical carrying out of the basic life needs of the working class, which Marxism also ignored. A ruthless battle against corruption, a war against exploitation, freedom for the workers, the elimination of all economic capitalist influences on national policy, which always forces us into foreign wars. A solution to the Jewish question, we call for the systematic elimination of foreign racial elements from the public life in every area. And let me say that this is not a new idea. The Byzantine emperors, when turned to Christianity, forbid the Jews from holding any public office in Christian lands. So it's not a new idea in Europe. It's a very sane and rational idea for any Christian nation to forbid the Jew from public life. What you end up with is America, the, the morally decadent, economically decadent society that we have today.
1: Economically and morally bankrupt as well.
0: Right, absolutely. There must be a sanitary separation between Germans and non-Germans on racial grounds exclusively, not on nationality, which, by which he means um, geographic nationality, or even religious belief. In in other words, there should be no conversos, right? You're either German by race or you're not German at all. And And Hitler expressed that in Mein Kampf. Down with democratic parliamentarianism, establish a parliament based on occupations which determines production. Policies will be determined by a political body that earns its place by the laws of strength and selection. The return of loyalty and faith in economic life. The complete reversal of the injustice that has robbed millions of Germans of their possessions. The right of personality before that of the mob. Germans always will have preference before foreigners and Jews. A battle against the destructive poison of international Jewish culture. Uh, It should really be called anti-culture, right? A strengthening of German forces and German customs. The elimination of corrupt, Semitic, and I'll say Jewish, principles and racial decay. The death penalty for crimes against the people. The gallows for profiteers and usurers. An uncompromising program implemented by men who will implement it passionately. No slogans, only living energy, that is what we demand. All of German socialism, all German socialism was about, was creating an equitable and, and, and livable state for the German people. That's what socialism should be, and, and socialism, as Goebbels said, has to be national, has to have that nationalist element in order to be true.
1: Well, criminals can't stand for that, though. So when you try and take away their ill-gotten gains, they're going to rise up.
0: Well, well, absolutely. It's just uh, another national socialism was just another reaction to the Jewish enslavement of our people. Thank you for joining me tonight.
1: Thank you for having me on. Next week, uh, I would like to
0: um, present my, my a paper I wrote a couple of months ago for a Saxon Messenger editorial, Christianity is Nationalism, and also some notes on Christian socialism.
1: One thing I was thinking, though, the, the Goebbels quote, that we do not dispute that the Jews are human beings, we dispute that they are decent ones. I think it was Senator Eastland from Mississippi who referred to Jacob Javits as the Jewish gentleman from New York. And then when Javits objected, he said, do you object to being called a Jew or do you object to being you know, called a gentleman? <laughs> and then McFadden might have made some similar remark, too, in his time. Well,
0: it's Paul of Tarsus that summed it up best when he said that the Jews were contrary to all men. They were enemies of Christ and contrary to all men.
1: And that's true. They're a counter race. They hate all men.
0: They're a counter-race, they're an anti-culture, they're antichrists. christs They are the original, they are descended from the fallen angels who are the original corruptors of God's creation, and they have been seeking to corrupt God's creation ever since.
1: Well, the Jew will see a house that's in order, and he'll desire to leave it in chaos. They're wreckers.
0: Absolutely, they're the destroyers of everything beautiful and good and noble. Thank you for joining me. Praise Yahweh. Good night. I will be here next Friday with the second part of Luke chapter 22. And next week, next Saturday, we will discuss Christianity
1: and socialism and nationalism. Good night. Good night.